Hallelujah. While I was looking into the things we spoke about last week, um, during the course of the week, some other things um, were also opening up. Uh, and, you know, so I'm, I'm also going to speak along the lines of some of the things um, that are quite fresh. Um, not, not fresh in terms of the concept, um, but fresh in terms of the understanding. I, I don't know how, if I can explain that to you. Um, some of those things I shared last week, in principle, in concept, they are not new things. But in terms of the level of understanding and, and revelational insight with which, uh, you know, I was, I, was, I was seeing, it was as if God was just opening deeper doors, you know, of, of those concepts to me. And we're going to be speaking along those lines this morning. Last week, we spoke about Sabbath rest unveiling God's economic uh, um, system. <laughs> I want to say God, God's economic plan, God's economic system. And speaking into that last week, we considered a land uh, with a flow. Uh, and it was um, such a beautiful um, exposition of the word. One of the things we spoke about last week um, that was very evident was that God started an experiment in the Garden of Eden. God created the entire earth. But because he wanted to model... He wanted to show us how man ought to relate and engage on the earth that he has created. He sought for himself a portion of land in the regions of Eden. Eden, think of Eden as, um, as uh, maybe a country, right? Uh, and in Eden, or think of Eden as maybe a state, or a city. And then in that region and territory of Eden, God planted, he took a portion on the eastern part of that territory called Eden, and he planted a garden. And the model of the garden was such that before God brought man into that garden, God had empowered that garden with everything that garden needed to self-sustain. Scripture recorded in the book of Genesis chapter 2. I think that must be verse 8, if you can help me with that scripture. That God caused to grow. I love that scripture so much because it shows that beyond the effort of man and the activities that of man's input into that arrangement, there was something that God had established in that land that facilitated productivity in that land. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree that is pleasant to the, to the sight and good for food. The Lord God made every tree grow. That's, that's what I wanted to emphasize. That it was growth and productivity of that land is a function of the making of the Lord. All right? Uh, that, that was the emphasis of last week's Sunday. That that land grows not because Adam plants and Eve watered, but simply because God made that land grow. And we saw in the New Testament that that understanding is also consistent in the New Testament because Apostle Paul came and said, I'm a master in planting. 
And once I'm done planting, I have a colleague in ministry by the name of Apollos. He comes after me and he ensures that what I have planted is properly watered every now and then. But I've observed that it's not my planting that brings about productivity. Neither is it Apollos watering that leads to productivity. But it is God that gives increase. Are we together? And out of the ground, the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15. Verse 15 now says, Then the Lord God took the man whom took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. So the, the issue of tending and the issue of keeping came after God had instituted the mechanism for which and by which that garden will self-sustain. So it is very clear from this model in the book of Genesis chapter 2, the model of the Garden of Eden, that what is primarily responsible for productivity is not the impute of man. What is primarily responsible for the productivity of the garden is the flow or the blessing or the enablement or the life of God that God had put in that garden. Nonetheless, Nonetheless, God still requires the impute of man. But we, we must not confuse in any way, shape, or form that it is our impute that is the reason for productivity. And I said that even though God started this model, the fall of man did not allow us historical... Um, did not allow us for time, did not allow man to live in this garden for a long period of time, for documents to be written about their, um, their sustenance on this land. So we don't really have much record about the space because shortly after this model started, scripture recorded that man sinned. And the implication of the sin of man was that God chased man out of this garden. So this experiment ended abruptly. But God still needed to show man uh, the lessons of this experiment that was cut short. So God decided to start another experiment. And God looked at another location. That location was called the land of Canaan. That was promised to Abraham and to his descendants. And one of the things God always says about that land, unlike any other land or geographical location on the face of the earth, is that that particular land, unlike every other land, is a land that flows with what? Milk and honey. And I show us scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture uh, that God kept referencing that land, not Nigeria, not America, not Europe, but that particular land in the Middle East was, even though it was a physical land, but there's some spiritual, there is something God had done to that land that makes that land special. It's a land with the flow. Jacob first stumbled upon that land when he was running from his brother Esau. And scripture recorded that he ran and ran up to a point where uh, the the um, the, the day at um, the sun had come down and he could not continue in his journey. So he just decided, let me sleep in this place and in the morning I will continue on my journey. And scripture recorded that while he slept, 
he had a revelation and in that revelation he saw God in heaven and there was a ladder that reached from earth to heaven and he saw angels ascending and descending upon that land and the Lord spoke to him and said I'm the God of your father Abraham and the God of your father Isaac this land this land I will give it to your I promise to give it to Abraham and to his descendants and I'm actually going to give it to you I'm going to take you to your uncle's house and after several years I will bring you back to this land and, 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 and God was speaking so much about that particular geographical location. And when Jacob woke up from that place, Jacob made a statement. He said, God is in this place. And I did not know it. So for the first time, Jacob was rec recognizing something very spiritual, something very significant about that land. And so God started an experiment Similar to what God started in the Garden of Eden with that land. It was the land with the flow. And interestingly, there were records. Hundreds of years of record. Written about activity and interaction of the children of Israel to that land. And one of the things God warned the children of Israel about. Was that the people who were original occupants of this special spiritual land. They violated the principle of living on this land. So I'm ejecting them as tenants and I'm bringing you in as my new tenants. You must learn and ensure that while living during the period of your tenancy and, and your occupation on this land, you live by accurate principles and precepts because this is a land with a flow. So I want to start this morning by showing us the instruction God gave to the children of Israel shortly before they took possession and they took uh, um, um, they became occupants of that land. The book of Deuteronomy chapter 8, we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 20, which happens to be the last verse of that particular scripture. I, I, I titled this um, second part of the message A Nation of Robbers. So last week was a land with a flow uh, this week's message is a nation of robbers. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 1. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe. That you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you. To know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know <laughs> that man shall not live by bread alone, but, by, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Verse 6. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. A land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flows out of valleys and hills. A land of wheat and barley of vines and fig trees and 
pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey. A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack for nothing. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you are eating and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Now, we'll continue reading. Thank you very much. But let me just punctuate our reading by saying one or two things. Now, in the book of Genesis, ma'am, we said that before God brought Adam into the garden, God had already quickened, enabled, and blessed that garden to self-produce. So it wasn't the tilling and the keeping of Adam that was responsible for productivity. But after God had blessed that garden, then God introduced Adam to keep and to till it. And I said one of the things we said last week, that there is a tendency that when God now brings you into that garden and you start to keep it and you start to tend it, there is a tendency that you start to assume that it is your effort that is responsible for productivity, not the blessing of God that God initiated or the flow that God put into the garden in the first place for which productivity springs from. So there is that tendency that there could be a high probability for forgetfulness. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the greatest challenge God would have in the garden of Eden or in the land of Canaan is forgetfulness occasioned by the fact that man is now participating. Right? So the challenge of God is not God blessing the land. The challenge of God is not God bringing man into the land. The challenge of God is forgetfulness of man. Because when, we, when man introduces works, man starts to feel that, you know, one of those days, Nebuchadnezzar went to the rooftop of his house. He looked at the entire empire and he made a statement. He said, is this not Babylon that I have built? And when God heard that statement that Nebuchadnezzar was making in his heart, God told him, he said, I'm going to humble you by giving you the heart of a beast, of an animal, until, you day, until the day you come to a recognition that there is a God in heaven that rules in the affairs of man. Okay? So there is always that tendency that when we've, We've done so much of planning. We've done so much of strategizing. We've done, done so much of labor. You know, you've, you've, you've applied to different places. You've, you've gotten that certification. You've gone for those trainings. Uh, and you've put in so much of work beyond your eight to five. You've gone above and beyond. And people can actually track. And there's this thing in, in, in the workplace we call appraisal. <laughs> right? 
which, which is not a measurement of the blessing of God, but a measurement of your participation. So you be, and in the corporate system, two plus two is always equals to four. When you are doing so well, then we give you more opportunities. So there is the tendency that we begin to believe that the reason why we are moving forward and we are making progress is because of our labor. So one of the statements we made last week is that your labor or your input is a requirement or your participation is a requirement, but your participation must not be mistaken for the force that is propelling your life. Okay? Because even though you would put in all the work and you clock in all the hours, God still says promotion does not come from the east or from the west or from the north. It comes from the Lord. And so God was saying, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing you into this beautiful land whose hills, whose spring, whose valley that has this, that has that. You will lack for nothing. You will eat bread to satisfaction. But I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that once you get into this land, you will forget. Who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and a thirsty land where there was no water? Who brought water out of you from the flinty rock? Who fed you the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you, that he might test you to do you good in the end? Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gained me this wealth. And God says, and you shall remember the Lord your God. For it when you get into that land, you, 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 you will sow. You will water. But you must remember that it is the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. That he may establish his covenant which he sought your fathers as it is this day. Then it shall be. If you by any means forget the Lord your God, and follow other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you this day that you shall perish. The, 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 the terrible consequence of forgetfulness is perishing. Now, let me, let me define this. Per that <laughs> perishing has... Um, perishing is a, is a spectrum of meaning. There's a perishing that means... Of course, explosion, bomb, die, you know. But th there is a perishing that also means the fact that um, you, 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 you begin to lose value. Um, and and your, your, the flow of your life diminishes. That's, that's perish. You begin to diminish. Okay? And it could be this, this consequent be as terrible as even things um, your, your, the productivity of your, of your land ceasing completely. Okay? I'm just taking it easy for those of us who were not here last week so that we can jump on this train. And the final verse, verse 20. As the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so you shall perish. Because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. So the biggest issue of God for bringing us into a land with the flow is forgetfulness. 
and, and God told the children of Israel, so I'm getting into the final portion of my, uh, my summary of last week's message. So God said, um, I know there is a tendency for you to forget. And forgetfulness is not, is, not, is not just a problem of these people. It's also a problem of the church of the New Testament. James said, when you hear the word, do not be forgetful hearers. Forgetfulness is a thing with us. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's, 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 it's part of the works of the flesh. It, it's part of the tendency of our fallen nature. We forget. And that's why I like when David says, uh, I've set the Lord always before me. You, you, we have to continually look into the perfect law of liberty because there is that tendency to forget. Okay? So God said, I know that your problem is forgetfulness. So I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you uh, by doing two things, a couple of things. And for the sake of this teaching last week and this week, uh, I'm just identifying two of them. I'm sure there are a couple of more other things God instituted in the scriptures to address this issue of forgetfulness. But last week, uh, we, looked at the, uh, we looked at one of them. And one of them was, God said, I'm going to help your forgetfulness by instituting a concept called Sabbath. Now, the concept of Sabbath is rest. Uh, because when, we, when you start to work, and you start to work, and you, how many of you know how greed works? Especially greed in investment. When you put in, when you put in one, and one becomes three, ah, so one and one becomes three. So you take the three again, you throw three in, three becomes nine, and you just keep throwing. And the the challenge most of the time is people don't know when to stop. Okay, so it's it's part of the works of the flesh. It, they, they get into drunkenness and just become intoxicated and they can't help themselves. And I've seen this over and over and over again. But God says, I'm, I'm going to help you uh, by mandating and instruct, is instructing you to take a pause. Six days you shall walk. I want you to, on the seventh day, rest. And you know, for, for, for a businessman, you might not appreciate this. You would, you'll be on the side of God if you are an employee. But for an employer, a business owner, <laughs> my, my, my friend once told me, he said, he said do you know that uh, Monday is public holiday, the last uh, public Muslim? He said, do you know that Monday is public holiday? I said, I said, I know. I said, I know you people won't like it. Employers, you don't like it. But we employees, we love it. <laughs> you know why? Because on Monday, you saw that productivity of everybody produced one million naira's profit. So you are calculating it. 24 hours equals one million. So six days equals six million. So, ah, Sunday, we can't ah, we can just lose. The import of us going to church on Sunday, resting and taking everything is that we, one, one million. And so you see people come to church, they'll be telling pastor, pastor. <laughs> so but God, God told the children, he said, I understand that there's a tendency that because you are seeing the direct import of your labor. You know, you're putting in labor and then you're seeing results. And there's a tendency that you just want to, just want to keep. God says, you know what? Learn to take a pause. So six days in a week you shall work on the seventh day rest. And then he even took the concept a step further. He said, six years you will plant. On the seventh year, I don't even want you to plant at all. Because I want to show you that even though in six years you planted, 
and harvest came. I want to show you that it's possible for you to rest for a year by not planting and yes, harvest will come. Right? So God instituted that principle of Sabbath on the six days. What was, what was God doing? God just wanted to punctuate man in his tracks to always refresh that understanding in him. Yes, I'm working, but what is making things work is not necessarily my labor, my, my effort. So God instituted Sabbath once a week. God instituted Sabbath once every seven years for a year, don't plant. And then, you know, he was instituting those things and even said, okay, I even want to do another one again. Every 49 years, on the 49th, for 48 years, you would sow and you will reap, of course, being punctuated uh, by Sabbath of, um, of, of seven, seven years. On the 49th year, which is a multiple of seven, I want you to rest for three years. Three years, don't sow, don't do anything, and I will cause a blessing to come upon the land, and you would have harvest for three years. So God kept on punctuating, and the reason why God did this was because he wanted that understanding never to depart from man, because there is a tendency for forgetfulness. So Jesus came, and Jesus said, man was not made for Sabbath, but Sabbath was designed for man. And the reason why Sabbath was designed for man is to address this issue called forgetfulness. So that's, that's last week's message in summary. The second thing that God instituted in the nation to address this issue of forgetfulness is what we want to talk about today. A nation of robbers. The book of Malachi chapter 3 verse 8. Praise the Lord. I want to say this very quickly for those of us who are familiar with Malachi chapter 3. Please keep an open mind. <laughs> So, so you have already, ah, <laughs> please keep an open mind. I'm sure this will bless you. Amen. Just assume you don't know this scripture. Okay. Are we together? The book of Malachi chapter three, verse eight is a very simple teaching. Um, I, we're doing more of, um, um, the, the first part of this message is about exposition, but the, the latter part is going to be about instruction. Amen. Very practical things we can do. Uh, to ensure that we sustain the flow of our lives. Will a man rob God? It's a very strange question. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and in offering, verse 9. Can you put verse 8 and verse 9 together? In tithes in and in offering, verse 9. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Let's break this down a little bit. How many of you have heard stories of husband and wife divorcing? And if you ask them what led to the divorce, they would say, um, the husband might say something like this. I've told him several times, when he's pressing that toothpaste, she should not press it from the top, she should press it from the bottom. How many of you believe that toothpaste has broken marriages before? Have you heard those very ridiculous stories? That, why did you people separate? And the, 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 the causal story, the, 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 the reason why they broke up, or what, the reason why the divorce would be so ridiculous. But actually, it's not about toothpaste. There is a principle that is manifesting itself 
in that pressed toothpaste at the bottom, press it on top. So what the man actually feels is that my wife does not listen to me. Behind that toothpaste issue is a story of a sense of disrespect or not the wife not giving him adequate respect. But that disrespect manifested <laughs> in toothpaste which led to divorce. So if, if the divorced couple, they come to you for counseling and you ask them the question, will husband and wife divorce? The same question God asked, you know, will a man rob God? So uh, this is strange. You two people, both of you are beautiful together. How come you people are separated? So it's a beautiful question. What led to the divorce? If the husband or the wife speaks up, speaks up and says, Thank you, Pastor. Don't mind him. Can you imagine? He issued me divorce certificate because of ordinary toothpaste. Will she be lying? No. But is that actually the reason? No. So when God so I referenced the story of divorce. You know, when thinking about how I would how I would explain, I looked at what scenario can I use in conveying this? I said the best thing I can use is the story of, uh, is the divorce scenario. I'm sure there are better stories out there, right? But going back into this story, when God asks the question, will a man rob God? And say, yet you have robbed him. And you, you would ask, in what way have we robbed you? And God said, in tithes and in offering. Now, in your mind, please keep an open mind. In your mind, assume this tithe and offering to be, we divorced because of toothpaste. How do I know? Because God said, he didn't say. He didn't say you. He didn't say that you robbed me of tithes and of offering. He said, in tithes, there's a there's a conversation in that issue of your tithing and offerings that equates to this issue of robbery. I'm referring to. There's this. There is a story behind the story. I don't know if you understand what I'm trying to talk about. Please keep an open mind. Just I'm, I'm going somewhere. Just keep an open mind. And, and if you look at verse ten. Let's, let's continue that conversation. He says, bring all the tithes into my storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour you out uh, such a blessing that there will not be room enough to contain it. We're going to verse 12, verse 11 then says, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground nor shall your vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And verse 12, finally, and all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord. Okay, so this whole conversation of robbery, tithes, offering, is actually about this land. <laughs> okay? You know, it's, it's very difficult when you are settling issue between husband and wife. Because there are, there are many, 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 many stories. But th there, is a, there is the story. There is the thing. Right? So you might have to, in patience and in wisdom, you know, hear what is being said and even beyond what is not said. Okay? So this whole issue of robbery, it started with robbery. And God said, you have robbed me. Because in 
the way you have behaved in tithes and in offering, you have come in, you have come under a curse. Please go back to verse, verse 9. If you can layer verse 8, 9, and 10 together, um, it, it, will really be, it will really be good. Or verse 8 and 9. Thank you. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you're saying, what will I rob you in Titan and offering? You are cursed. God, God didn't say, I cursed you. He, he said, by how you have behaved around that idea of Titan offering, you have brought yourself, that is your land, to a place where there is no longer a flow. Are you following? There is no longer a flow. You are cursed with a curse for you have robbed me, even this entire nation. But he said, look, you, you need to begin to bring back the tithes to the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And by this says the Lord, I will initiate again that flow. I will open the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing that there will not be room to contain it. And verse 11, very quickly, verse 11. And I will rebuke. So, there are, there are forces acting upon your land as a result of the fact that you've ceased the flow. And the enemy has brought in another activity, demonic activities operating in your environment and your space that is leading to your space experiencing perishing. I'm ever remember that Deuteronomy chapter 8. It shall be that if you don't do these things that I'm telling you, then ye shall perish. So this is the perishing. They were, their, their economic environment, the nation was going through economic difficulty. Now, let's go back to this issue of robbery. Now, the first thing I want to tell you is that what they really robbed God of is not tithes and offering. I, 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 I was a lawyers in this house. Lawyers will say, I put it to you. <laughs> now, I, I, I'm not, I, of course, I'll balance all these things I'm saying. So when I started talking, there's a way you think as if I want to emphasize that. Now I made it say that. Okay, so where is she in the middle of all this? What they really robbed God of was an opportunity for the blessing of God to, you know, to flow in that entire nation. What God was accusing them, the, the real robbery was the involvement I would have had in the nation to ensure that your flow is sustained is denied me because of your behavior and your heart in the issue of tithes and offerings. So first and foremost, if, if, we must, if I say that you have robbed me, I'm implicitly implying that there is a possession of mine that you have taken. Okay? But I've also heard people talk about Titan offering and, and, and they talk about it that it's God's taxation system. Well, I, I've, I've struggled to process all of those concepts. God said in the book of Psalms chapter 50, let's quickly go through it. Psalms chapter 50 and verse 7. Psalms chapter 50 and verse 7. Are we there? <clears throat> Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. So this is, <laughs> this is God having a conversation with his people. 
I will not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. I mean, God is telling the children of Israel that you are constantly sacrificing to me, but I'm not interested in your sacrifices. I will not take a bull from your house, nor goats out of your folds. Why? Because every beast of the forest is mine. I'm having to reference this to show us that the concern of God when God said, you have robbed me, is not animals, it's not cattle, it's not ram. God says, for every beast of the forest is mine, including the one in your house. And the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine and all its fullness. Now, God says it's mine. So you can't, you can't, you can't rob God in that. So when God said you are robbed, he wasn't talking about your animals. God is referring to a story behind that story. Now, I'll tell you what. The reason why God, why did God, why did God institute offerings? Sorry that I startled you. Why did God institute offerings in Israel? The reason why God instituted offerings in Israel is that God wanted to again punctuate this attitude of man. You see, if you ask um, people in finance and investment uh, how to build wealth, one of the things they will tell you is that uh, the, the secret to wealth creation is compounding. Ensure that you are not losing money. Ensure that you are compounding. And you compound via investments that keep yielding revenue. And so they'll tell you, don't buy liabilities, buy assets, because assets compounds. It gives you returns. And so because of that formula of wealth creation, man has a tendency to become very selfish. Man never wants to let go. Because for, for every portion of your resources that you let go, simply means by the mathematical equation of wealth creation that you have diminished your capital to be able to produce. So if you are compounding capital at 10%, if you have 1 million, it simply means after the tenor, you are going to have 100,000 in profit. But if God now mandates you that out of your 1 million naira of capital, give out 200,000 naira, it means that you will now have 800,000 left at 10% profit, which simply means at the end of the tenor, as against 100,000 you were meant to make before, you would only be able to make 800,000. That means... Sorry, 80,000. Sorry, so of course, uh, I'm, I'm so sorry. You only be able to make 80,000. That means you have lost 20,000 that you would have gained simply because you obeyed instruction to give. So when people, when man realizes that, there is a tendency for man to begin to hurt. But the reason why was that in, was that in releasing and in distribution, normally it should impact your ability to earn. But I'm going to prove to you that there is E that scattereth and yet increases. Please give us that scripture. There is E that scattereth 
Proverbs 11, 24. There is one who scatters and yet increases. Now, this is a very strange occurrence. Because when you scatter, you lose, you, you diminish your capital. Right? And when your capital is diminished, you don't increase because you don't increase commensurate to how much you would have produced if you had retained your capital. But God is saying, as part of my mechanism to ensure that remembrance is sustained in Israel, I'm going to institute all kinds of offerings and givings. Are we following? Now, you would observe over time that even though by the offerings you have given, God said, okay, start with 10% tithe. So tithe alone takes from your 100%, takes 10. You are left with what? 90. And God says, uh, that tithe is just the beginning. And God says, there are all kinds of other offerings. Bull offering, sin offering, wave offering, burnt offering. And all those offerings involves you taking resources from your wealth. Ox, bulls, goats, sheep. These were capital in those days. And God was telling the nation that the reason why I'm instituting this is that by the time you observe that your capital had diminished from 100 to 80 or to 70, and yet you are producing more than he that retains his 100% capital. It is by that observation you would know that actually it wasn't your effort in the first place. But you see, it takes a level of faith to obey this scripture. Because this scripture is anti what is being taught in Harvard, Yale. Do you understand what I'm saying? MIT and all of, all of those places. It's, it's, it's like you saying 2 minus 1 equals 5. When you take 1 from 2, it diminishes. It can't be. Two. It has to be less than 2. Even if you say it is 1.9, you are still wrong, but at least uh, you agree with the principle of the fact that 2 can no longer remain the same. But by the practice of tithes and offerings, which impacts on your capital and should naturally lead you to not produce more, I'm going to institute a miracle in your everyday living such that there will be he, that is Shei, Busaya, Solomon, that even though they scatter, and the word scatter here is not waste. The word scatter here is what Paul used in the New Testament and he used it as distribution. There are all kinds of givings, like I said. Right? There is he that scatters yet increases more. It is obvious then from this Proverbs 11, 24. It is obvious that it is not your investment that is producing the increase. There is a force behind your resources. You would observe that there is he who scatters yet increases, but there is he who is withholding. I must invest. I must retain my capital. And yet, there is he who withholds more than Israel. I love the scripture. Scripture balances itself. It doesn't now mean that, hallelujah. Okay, I get the formula now. And God blesses you one million. 
and the entire, every, 100% of everything God blesses you with every time you are scattering. No, no. That one is foolishness. Okay? That's just pure foolishness. Because for every one of your harvest, containing your harvest is both seed and bread. There is an amount you are meant to scatter. There is a portion you are meant to scatter. And there is a portion that you are meant to sow. You see, um, this, this thing I'm talking about, um, I'm not just talking theories. To an extent, and I'm sure to an extent also for some of us, we've proven God in these areas. I've proven God spectacularly in this area. When I came to Lagos, uh, my first salary was 50,000 naira. I decided to marry on a salary of 50,000 naira. Before I started earning 50,000 naira, a year or two years before then, God told me, from now henceforth, you are not going to be giving 10%. You are going to be giving 30%. So when I started earning 50,000 naira salary, effectively, what I had retained was 35. So literally, I decided to marry on 35,000. And by the way, the person I married, I married a university student. <laughs> so don't think the husband and wife are working. She had not even gone for NYC. So when we're negotiating this instruction God told me, because, and I'm not saying the law is, there's no law. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's no, so someone out the formula is 30%. Now from, that's not, if there's no, I'm not giving you law. I'm telling you my own personal experience. So my wife said, um, hallelujah. Uh, the Lord gave you that word when you were single. The Lord is not unwise to maintain that instruction now that you are married. It's no, it's no longer one, it's now two. And so we started arguing. So he got to a point at the, at, in that argument. I said, look, Ify, what is really your concern? What do you really want? Is it, are you fighting for 35,000 naira or 45,000 naira? Or you are fighting for the fact that you want a situation where your needs are met? She said, I want my needs to be met. And I said, if, you, if it's about your needs, then forget. I said, is it your needs? He said, no, no, forget this money. Forget it. It's 30%. Forget it. So reluctantly, she agreed. But you know those kinds of agreements? <laughs> we go see. And for the first one year of our marriage, we were doing things that were literally 10 times above our earnings. Ridiculous. Where I was living, number one, I was paying 500,000 naira. My 35,000 naira multiplied by 12 can't pay that rent. I'm talking about 2010. Can't pay that rent. I had, we had this vision that our house would be a place where people who are just starting life you know, can come to. So we had, at a time, up to five, six, seven, eight people living in our house with us. And of course, these were people who were just starting life. So it wasn't as if they were uh, adding, contributing. In our first one year, our first trip together outside of the country, we, we went to seven cities, from London to Glasgow, 
to New York to San Francisco. To, we were just globetrotting. <laughs> you know? So at the, at the end of one year, I think we just took stock and to say, okay, okay, okay. Of course, at some point, my salary moved up from 50,000 naira to 120,000. And I, I was on 120 for about three years or four years thereabout. So for four years, I was, my standard of living was way above. My wife, by that experience, came into understanding that there is a force around our life beyond what our senses can explain. There is he that scatters and yet increases. There is he that withholds more than is necessary but leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich and he who waters will also himself be watered. In other words, there are things you can begin to do with your scattering and with your distribution that leads and activates a flow. So, when God looked at the entire nation and he said, you have robbed me, what God was basically saying is that you have denied me the opportunity to bring this miracle into the nation, activating productivity in the nation by your behavior and attitude to tithes and offering. That's the Old Testament. In the New Testament, I will simply just put it this way, to distribution. You've denied me. You've robbed me. You've denied me. So that, that robbery there is not talking about the tithe you refuse to. It, it's, it's not so much of the tithe so or the offering you refuse to give. It's so much of the opportunity you've denied God to show himself mighty on your behalf. Do you understand what I'm saying? So in the same book of Malachi, God began to chastise people. He said, eh, eh, wafe give offering. You will bring your blind goat. You know why? Because in their possession, the blind goat can has no who, who just spoke? Mama, is that you? Has no value. So uh, this one can yield. So let's use this one that can yield as the one we give as offering. Because what is responsible for our yielding are the labors we can put together to bring about increase. He said, can you take that blind goat to your governor? So can you see, it wasn't even the fact that they weren't giving offering or they weren't giving tithe. You could, from their, from their tithing and from their offering, you could see their heart. Even though they were doing it, but they had actually forgotten. The tithing and the offering was meant to renew the fact that, ah, God, I'm giving you my best. Normally, this my best should give me certain millions in revenue at the end of the year but I'm deciding to give this to you as a result of not, number one me honoring you but also it's a reminder telling me myself that it is not actually my ability that can produce that one million it is you so when God said I have an issue with you this entire nation you have robbed me in it's your attitude and behavior in have I done a good job so have I said you shouldn't pay tight? Have I said you shouldn't give offering? Thank you. Thank you. That's what I'm scared of. That's what I'm scared of. So God says, actually, I don't need your offering. The cattle upon a thousand hills are mine. As a matter of fact, the earth and its fullness, they are mine. I don't need it. 
something I'm trying to address. It's that forgetfulness. You rub me in. And, and, and because of this attitude which you are giving, cost has been, the flow has ceased, cost has accessed your economy. Devourers, wasters are operating your economy. And so God begins to say, with a different attitude, bring back the tithes to my storehouse. Please go back to that Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, I think, is that verse 9 or verse 10? In this renewed attitude of understanding, bring ye tithes to my storehouse that, that there might be food in my house. Prove me. That's what God is. That's the attitude. The reason why you are not giving your best is because you feel your best is what is responsible for your increase. But God is saying, okay, let's do an experiment. Prove me. I did that experiment in the Garden of Eden. I did it in the land of promise. Now it's your turn. Prove me. Bring all the tithes to the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord, if I will not open for you a flow of the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing. People have always tried to define this blessing. Some said a blessing. There is one blessing. What God is just simply saying is that give me an opportunity for the flow of your spiritual climate to be activated. Now, finally, I need to wrap up. Lessons and instructions from Sabbath and scattering. So I said to address forgetfulness, God did one thing, Sabbath, and then God instituted givings defined by offerings and tithes in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Paul puts it, uses one word for givings, distribution. Okay. And in that distribution, I really don't care what you call it. Tithes, as part of your distribution, fine. If you've determined in your heart uh, that one of the things um, that would define giving in your own economy is tithes, is ten percent of your of your income, fine. God told me personally, thirty percent. So in that sense, I don't give tithe because tithe is a mathematical word that simply means ten percent. I don't know what the Greek or the Hebrew thing for thirty is. I need to find out. I know I've heard of stories of me someone like. History has it for someone like Benson Daosa. I think towards the end of his life was giving maybe 90 or 95%. It, it's about your work with God. But one thing is key. Distribution. So lessons about Sabbath and givings. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5 to 12. Let's just wrap up with this. One of the lessons of Sabbath and, and givings is what? Trust. Why was God telling them to bring bond offering, uh, this offering, that offering? This is a trust. Because for every offering you give, it diminishes your capital. But you must trust God enough that even though in quotes you are losing it, it returns. And that's why Jesus said, give, and it shall be given to you. you. You might not be able to explain how it will return, but I promise you it will return in good measure. Press down, shaking together. Will God orchestrate and arrange for men to give to your bosom? Ah, man, what formula is that? That's, that's a ridiculous formula. That's a miracle. The number one lesson in Sabbath and in givings is trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean on, on, your, own, on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Kaku 
tikpot. My mom will say she yi mask aku tikpot. Every time my mom also, you know, uh, yab me on the issue of money. I'll be like, mommy, I can't do this. I be like, ah, she yi kaku tikpot. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Have you seen people vehemently debate tight? No, again, look. Kaku. Is, I'm telling you the truth. And I'm not have been like, uh, I'll be, I, sh- I will be able to pay tight when my salary, I start collecting salary because the salary I have now is not even enough for me to survive. It's kaku. That's why your life is not experiencing the miraculous. Prove God. In fact, that that suit your small salary that is not enough for you to survive in the month is a very good place to prove God. I proved God not when I started earning millions. I proved God when I was earning 50,000 naira and God laid a demand on me. And that's why God said, I took you through the wilderness for 40 years that you may know that man shall not live by bread. It's not just about your kaku. You must learn to live by another level of sustenance. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, depart from evil. Verse 8. So, number one lesson um, from Sabbath and givings is trust. Number two lesson is distribution. So, I'm giving us instructions now. Instruction number one is let's trust God. Let's prove God. Malachi said, prove me. Or God said in Malachi, prove me. Number two is distribution. I want you to, by distribution, I mean in the Old Testament, distribution was easy because it was just about tithes. Please go back to that Malachi chapter 3 and verse, verse, verse 8 and 9. I'm wrapping this up. Verse 8 and 9. Malachi, no, no, no. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? Look at the answer. In tithes. Not just one tithe. There were several types of tithes. And there were several types of offerings in the Old Testament. In the, in the New Testament, there are all sorts of avenues to distribute. I just needed to emphasize that. Please go back to that Proverbs chapter 3. I think we're in verse, what verse are we? Um, we're in verse 8. Trust in the Lord. Lead. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Verse 8. For it shall be. Verse 8. By, do, by trusting in God, you would even have a flow in your health. Bodily. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. So that's instruction number one. Second benefit or second instruction from Titan and from Sabbath is this what I call distribution. Verse 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions. <laughs> you see, if you put this by Malachi chapter 3, you would then understand that the issue of you giving to God is not a function of returning back what belongs to God from the perspective of don't rob God. It's a function of you in your giving showing honor. So it is very clear that what the nation robbed God of was not ox, bulls, cattle, goats, and those animals. What they robbed God, God, God of is the honor of God showing himself as he who is behind the scene working everything together for their good. So Solomon says, honor 
the Lord with your possessions. Honor him with your possessions. And with the first fruits of all your increase. What will happen when we begin to show honor to God by the things, by our money and by our resources, is that you begin to see a flow. So your barns will be filled and your vats will overflow with, the, with new wine. We're going to verse 12. Next verse, 11. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Verse 12, finally. Uh, that, that's where, where, where there. Please go back to verse 10. Honor the Lord with your substance. Verse 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruit of your increase. So your bands will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new one. Let, let me just talk about, about two or three channels of distribution that we should be very... Um, we shouldn't take lightly. So if I'm to summarize everything I've said since last week's Sunday, I've said your land, there is a spiritual force around your life that is responsible for the productivity of your economy. I've said, second thing, that your labor and your participation is required, but there is oftentimes a conflict between your participation, that is your labor, and the flow in your economy, which oftentimes leads to your forgetfulness. And one of the things God instituted to address that forgetfulness and ensure that you constantly remember is the issue of Sabbath and the issue of distribution. In the Old Testament lingua, tithes and offerings. And I'm now saying that number one, behind tithes and offering is God's mechanism to achieve in your heart trust in the Lord. It's also, secondly, beyond trust, is also God's mechanism to achieve in your life generosity and distribution. What are the different areas of distribution that we need to be very conversant with? Offerings. Psalms chapter 20 verse 1 to 3. I'm just going to run through some scriptures and then wrap this up. Psalms chapter 20 verse 1 to 3. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary. May he strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifices. One of the things offerings and sacrifices does right, is that it activates divine intervention. You want divine intervention to flow in your life, then we must be, it's a practice. When there was trouble, when there was trouble in the early church and a new faction of the church was emanating, the church of the Gentiles, and the apostles, they, they weren't quite sure because they thought that salvation was only restricted to the Jews. And they reluctantly allowed that church to be. One of the instructions they gave to them is, okay, you guys are saved. That's not a problem. But one of the things you must never neglect to do is givings. 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 The book of James said, pure religion and undefiled is this, that you keep yourself uncorrupted and that you remember the widows and the poor. Okay? Givings. Hallelujah. And, and you can see example of how givings in the scripture provoked a flow. You can see in the story of Solomon, how Solomon offered offerings unto the Lord and the Lord came to him and said, ask for the kind of flow that you want. And, so, and God told, Solomon told God, he said, I, I want a flow of wisdom and understanding. And God said, you've even made things worse. 
not only did your sacrifice provoke a flow, I gave you an open check to ask me what kind of flow. You now even ask for the best kind of things anybody can ask me. Not only will I give you the flow of wisdom and understanding, I will also give you other flows that you didn't ask for. I'll give you long life, I'll give you the lives of your enemies, and I'll give you wealth. Nobody will be able to match you. Sacrifices activate spiritual flows. You know, um, one of the things, the uh, revelationally progressive church, um, one of the ways in which we differ from previous iterations of and expressions of church life is that we saw the limitations and weaknesses in church living by pure principle. And we migrated, we said, no, 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 that's, you can live by the principles of God and not know God. So we emphasize knowing God. But I realized that even though we've emphasized knowing God and the knowledge of God, we've neglected practices. And, and you, you check churches that are revelationally progressive, if you check their giving life, their giving life is so low. Yet we know, we know all the revelation. We know the name of the 23rd elder before the throne of God. But there are some churches that they really know those principles and they are the better for it. We shouldn't say we are choosing the ways of God and we are neglecting the acts of God. One of the things that the ways of God does is that it produces those acts. We saw also from the story of David when there was a plague over the land of Israel and that angel was killing and killing. Forget the reason for which the angel was killing, but there was a plague. And David offered an offering unto the Lord in the threshold of Onan and God respected that sacrifice and stopped that plague. Sacrifices are potent. And by sacrifices, I mean givings, offerings to the Lord. And these offerings and givings could manifest in primarily you giving in church. So I want to explain the different channels of giving. So let's make it very practical. Giving in church. Paul in the book of, in the New Testament calls it, he called it weekly collections. How many of you know that for the fact that we are here hearing God's word every Wednesday and every, and every Sunday, there is an economic, and there's, there's an economic reality to ensure that we have this sort of ambience. How many of you know that this microphone did not fall from heaven? If you, if you really get really quiet, you will hear a noise coming from behind. Is the noise of the generator. How many of you know that that generator doesn't run on internal life? Yeah. Don't make it a culture that when you congregate with the saints, right, you don't come with something to give to the Lord. You remember again, God is watching how you are doing it, that you are not bringing blind goods. And that's why Paul instituted, he said, in the early church, he said, anytime you gather, ensure that there are daily collections. You are sowing into this experience. How many of you enjoy the atmosphere of the spirit in this house? There is a whole part of it that ensures that this is happening uninterrupted. How would you feel that you are in this place, there, there are no fans? You'll be distracted. Even me, I won't like the way because from time to time, you are backing with, with nature. Another kind of giving that we must never be slack in doing. Remember I said distributions. By this way, I'm meaning different kinds of giving. So one is giving to church. Another kind of giving is giving to the poor. 
ah, my God, this activates God. God said in the book of Proverbs, he says, he that gives to the poor, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17, he that gives to the poor lends to the Lord. You are borrowing God money. What's the return of that investment? You know, even if you don't like Jesus, let me tell you, this is the bad part of this, of this instructional part of this message. Even if you don't like Jesus, if you are truly a wise businessman, eh, and a very selfish and greedy human being, if I tell you that it is written that anybody that gives a poor man money borrows God money, shouldn't you leave this place and be looking for poor people to give you? <laughs> Even if out of selfishness, I'm not saying you should be selfish. And that's why I didn't start with the instructions. I started with the knowledge of God. That's why we built this knowledge to, to the time we got to the point of these instructions. Look at people around your life. You see, you, you can't be in a local assembly and you are wearing Gucci, Gucci belt, $3,000, and someone cannot have, doesn't have food to eat at night. You, you, you can't. I'm not saying it's your money, and you can spend the way you want, but it, it, you yourself, look up now. <laughs> is, is, is he okay? Look for poor people. And guess what? Yeah, I'm, I'm me. I'm, I'm the poor that the Bible is talking about. There are other poorer people. There are, more people, there are people poorer than you are. Because all you are calling poverty in your own case is you are still on 60,000 naira per, per month, Abby. There are people that cannot, you know, it was when pandemic happened that we discovered that there are some people in this Lagos, they need to step out of the house in the morning to be able to eat. Some of these Agbero, standing at bus stop, collecting 15 naira, believe me, that 15 naira is what they used to eat. And God says, the good thing about this kind of doing business with God is that God already said in scripture, the poor will always remain among you. So if you are looking for, how many of you are looking for viable investment that will bring returns before the year runs out? I just gave you one secret. Give to the poor. And you think I'm joking. The book of Acts of Apostles chapter 9, let me show you a scripture of, a, of someone who did this kind of business. This one gives better returns than MMM. I'm telling you the truth. Crypto. Crypto has nothing on this one. Act of Apostles chapter 9 verse 36. About four more scriptures to go and, and then we're done. Act of Apostles chapter 9 verse 36. Let's look at it together. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Docas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and she died when when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. They refused to bury her. Who are the people that refused to bury her? They were the people that she was, that she had been benevolent to over the years. No, no, no. Think of Bamaoku, not you, Dockers. If anybody deserves death, not you. So they washed her up. Rather than put her in the grave, they put her in the upper room. Look at what they said. As his leader was near Joba, the disciples had heard that Peter was there. They sent two men to Peter, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. This, this body would decay. But we can't bury her. We can't. Then Peter arose and went with them. And when they had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him, weeping, showing them tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, 
Tabitha, that is Dorcas, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Why, why did God allow this intervention to happen? One of the premises that occasioned this miracle was our good works. There is something about this Jopa, this territory where this woman was. There's something about that region because not only was Tabitha there, in the next few verses, chapter 10 of Acts of Apostles, there is another man, Cornelius. Acts of Apostles, chapter 10, verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. A devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he had observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? And so that angel said to him, your prayers and your arms have come up before God as a memorial. You've, you've, you've done this, your distribution. Remember, again, you can't accuse me that I'm preaching money because I've said no, point number one, give to church. Point number two, give to the poor. So I balance the message. But your memory has come up to me before God. Another kind of giving is learn to give to men of God. You see, I, I struggled a bit with this because um, um, in Lekki Church, um, teaches Lekki Church for several years the, 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 the most economically buoyant person in the church was Pastor Tyre and Pastor Monica. In fact, they literally um, sponsored um, the economy of the church. Rent and rent in Lake is very expensive. For several years, they carried it on their shoulders. And so there is a tendency that you can begin to look at that the man of God that I'm meant to give to, he has more money than me. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? That so there's no need for me to give to him. You've just don't make that mistake. It's not about whether the man of God or the people having spiritual sight oversight over you or speaking the word of word of God to you has more money than you. That's not the issue. The issue is that it's a spiritual principle. You want to activate a flow, learn to give to the spiritual oversights in your life, starting with your local pastor. Like my Ghanaian brother who says, your local pastor. <laughs> Can I hear amen? amen? Let me just give you two examples of that. First Kings chapter 17 and verse 12. So, I'm basically saying our land has a flow, but there are things we need to, there are, there are practical things we need, we need to begin to do to activate and to ensure that those, that flow is abounding and increasing rather than diminishing. First Kings chapter 17, verse 12. This is the woman, widow of Zarephath. So she told Elijah, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread. Only a handful of flour in a bin and a little jar oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. That's how little and significant what she had was to her. And Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. What, what's the biggest motivation for us not giving? Fear. If I give it, how will I survive? How will I? It's fear. Don't be afraid. Go. 
and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first. Elijah wasn't asking the woman to make everything for him. And that's why your pastors are not asking that you empty your bank account for them every time. And God is not asking you to do that. But from that last meal that you have, devote a portion of that last meal by making a cake for me first. Make me a... Elijah even said it. So Elijah literally... Elijah wasn't looking for food. Because before Elijah came here, Elijah had been in a bush for over a year that in the morning and in the evening, ravens were bringing bread for him twice a day. Elijah doesn't need us. Um, what, is small, what will small cake do? Lord of Tansoy, because the famine is going to be three and a half years. And we have just entered the second year. And Elijah is asking for small cake. Do you think it's that cake that will preserve Elijah for the next two years? Your pastor doesn't need your money. I know for a fact. Pastor, pastor, pastor Tomwe does not need your money. For a fact. This is why he's not even spiritual. They don't. But make a small cake for me first. And bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son also. This is what will begin to happen. There will be a flow. Thus said the Lord. For thus said the Lord God of Israel, the bean of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until there's going to be a flow that is going to hit you. How many of us want to activate flows in our lives? Be very, be very generous in distribution. Can I show you one final one? Final scripture and we'll wrap it up. Philippians chapter 4 verse 10. Again, last week we flowed a lot from understanding, talking about concepts. We landed it today and now I'm leaving you with this instruction to be able to execute the understanding God has brought to us. Philippians chapter 4 verse 10. Now look at this. Paul said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though, even though I know that you cared for me, but you have lacked the opportunity. Now, listen, your love to your pastors, not just your pastors, to the spiritual leadership God put in your life, because I, for one, of course, I have, I have, I have pastors over me, but beyond my pastors, there are other people in my life as well that God has brought into my life as spiritual oversight. It is not just enough for you to love them so much in your heart that you can give them anything. Your love should always find opportunity. So it's, it's not just enough that ah, I, I, I love, I love Pastor, Pastor Damien, I love Pastor, Pastor Tobe. It's, it's not just enough. That love should find opportunity. So Paul said, I rejoiced greatly that finally, I know that you've always loved me and you can give anything for me, but now your love is finding opportunity. And I'm happy about the opportunity because anytime your love is finding opportunity, you're activating the flow. Love in your heart doesn't activate the flow. For a fact, I know everybody here loves Pastor Dami and Pastor Tobin, but that's not just enough to activate the flow. I'm sorry you are disappointed that she is preaching this. It doesn't sound like kind of our revelation of the talk. Scriptures. Even though you've always cared for me, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard of need. I don't need your money. I don't. For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. 
verse 12. Lump up 12 and 13 together. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. And I can tell you for a fact, Pastor Dami and Pastor Tokwe, they are not abased. They are in a season of abound. <laughs> Paul even said, Woman filled up in one season. I can tell you, this is just, they are planted on the rock. So I'm, I have to make this joke to let you know that they are not, this is not about it. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be honest. These ones are not hungry, these ones are full. But to abound and to suffer need. Verse 13. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. These pastors of this church, they are not doing all, they are doing full. They are doing abounding through the strength of Christ. Verse 14. Just joking. Verse 14. Nevertheless, you have done well that you have shared in my distress. You've done well. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but only you. You did it in the past. After a while, there was a break, but now you have started again. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the flow that happens in your life as a result of the distribution. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And now, take a flow. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches. Guys, To your church, give to your pastors, give to the poor, do business. And the Lord will bless you richly. Can I just pray over us? Pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we thank you for the speakings of your word. And we know that this is not just about the proclamation of your word alone, this is about you seeking occasion for you to bring us into our next season. And now I speak that the doors and the gates are open. The doors and the gates are open. I speak an open heaven over the life of everyone under the sound of my voice. In the name of Jesus, your increase is returning again. Your harvest is returning again. Abundance is coming again. In the name of the Lord Jesus, the Lord is rebuking the devourers for your sake. Is rebuking the canker worms and the palmer worms and the waster. In the name of the Lord Jesus, the Lord is opening the windows of heaven over you. He's pouring you out a blessing. There shall not be room enough to contain it. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you because you are giving us grace to be efficient distributors and managers of the resources you are giving to us. In givings to the poor, in givings to the poor, in givings to our pastors, in givings to spiritual leaders that you're placed in our lives and in giving to the local assembly that has been a blessing and is a blessing to us. We give you praise and we give you glory. In Jesus' name, we have prayed.